Hi, Dave Emery here. This is for the record program number 1306. Where is Nuremberg? This is being recorded on July 21st of the year 2023. Before getting into the main body of the program, three things. Uh, do get in the habit of checking the Spitfire list dot com website on a regular basis for the very important comments, most of which are made by our contributing editor Terrafacto, and some of which are made by other listeners. They are an important and brilliant part of the presentation. Also on the SpitfireList.com website, there are links at the top of each written for the record description and each food for thought post that have a couple of important links. First of all, for those of you for whom podcasting or podcasts are the best way of consuming for the record, and that is in our telephone-dominated society increasingly the case, sister station WFMU is podcasting for the record. Again, there is a link at the top of each Food for Thought description, each Food for Thought article and each written for the record description that will enable you to subscribe to the WFNU podcasts. Also, uh, all of my well, almost 45 years now, actually I guess almost 44 years complete worth of both Audio and printed work is available on a 32 gigabyte flash drive. That flash drive also includes a mini library of old anti-fascist books on easy to download PDF files. And the, uh, well basically everything that is in print and all of the audio files that are on the spitfirelist.com website are available on that flash drive. That includes uh, the years' worth of comments by our brilliant contributing editor, Terrafractal, and uh, again, uh, everything in print and in audio that I have done for the better part of half a century. That flash drive is going to be updated presently. Now, uh, the title of the program, Where's Nuremberg?, is a reference, obviously, not just to the Nuremberg trials, but some of the ethical precepts and uh, elements of international law that stem from the Nuremberg trials and are part of the Nuremberg statutes. One of the most important of those is the forbidding of unwitting experimentation upon human subjects. In other words, experimenting on people without their consent and knowledge is considered uh, a breach of ethics. And that is a very good principle to adhere to. Sadly, the U.S. has uh, systematically disregarded that. It was disregarded prior to World War II, but as the Cold War ramped up and as various forms of experimentation began to gather steam, the testing of various things on human subjects without their knowledge or consent became more or less routine. That includes uh, the use of various hallucinogenic drugs, including on unwitting and unsuspecting psychiatric patients, which is absolutely amazing to contemplate, uh, to have uh, staff at a psychiatric hospital 
uh, administering things like LSD to unsuspecting psychiatric patients is uh, unthinkable. And yet that sort of forbidden experimentation became more or less a way of life. In my last two shows, we have accessed material uh, largely from uh, the book that we're going to be using again in this program. It's called The Terrible Mistake, subtitled The Murder of Frank Olson and the CIA's Secret Cold War Experiments. It's by Hank P. Alberelli. It was published in hardcover by Prime Day Publishers in uh, 2009. And uh, the copyright is by Hank Alberelli. Copyright 2009. Uh, the concept for this program was inspired by uh, a, a gathering uh, in the, well, I don't know about the gathering, but certainly there appears to be a trend in this country, at least as reported in the media, of once again using hallucinogenic drugs in various therapeutic uh, situations uh, for treating uh, service people who have uh, suffered PTSD in the long wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, among other places, and also simply the use of hallucinogenic drugs in various therapeutic situations has... Uh, it, it, it appears to be becoming to be becoming more frequent, and certainly has a degree of advocacy in the public media that is relatively new, at least relatively recent. Uh, there was a certain amount of that prior to the uh, quote psychedelic unquote explosion in the 1960s. It got eclipsed by the illicit use of these various drugs in the time since. But again, there has been a growing. Uh, media presence of people who are advocating for the controlled use of hallucinogenic drugs for various therapeutic purposes, and also in particular for treating soldiers or personnel who have suffered PTSD in some of America's long wars. If the past is any indicator these programs, which for all I know might be quite beneficial if they are properly overseen and properly vetted, that's an important consideration. But if the past is any sort of guide, then the above-board and approved therapeutic uh, and or experimental uh, administering of these drugs to the patients will be uh, eclipsing a much broader and perhaps perhaps illicit use of those same substances in a larger and perhaps not so therapeutic framework. This is obviously speculation. I can't say for sure that that is going on. But if the past is any guide, then the use of hallucinogenic drugs to treat various forms of psychiatric disorders uh, or, or to treat and to treat uh, service people suffering from PTSD. And again, those may very well be incidences where the use of hallucinogenic drugs can, under the 
proper circumstances and with proper supervision and control uh, be quite beneficial. I really can't say, but in the past, the use of LSD, other hallucinogenic drugs, and various chemical and psychoactive substances became the order of the day, and there was a tremendous amount of experimentation on people without their knowledge and without their consent. And again, one of the things that was quite common was the use of hallucinogenic drugs and other mind-altering substances on unwitting psychiatric patients. And that is just amazing to contemplate that that this sort of thing would seem to be uh, more or less routine, routine. Uh, the use of substances on unwitting subjects was uh, one of the underlying themes of a very good book called A Mind for Murder, which is about some of the uh, experimentation conducted at Harvard University and other places, including the experimentation that was done on Theodore Kaczynski, who later became the Unabomber. He was a... Uh, a, a young genius at Harvard University who was subjected to various experiments, uh, if not without his knowledge, uh, certainly without his necessarily knowing what sort of ends awaited uh, him and the experimenters. One of the points that the book uh, A Mind from Murder makes is that the violation of the Nuremberg Codes, the Nuremberg Statutes, has become absolutely routine in post-World War II America. And what we're going to be doing in this book, again, we're going back into uh, a parable mistake, subtitled The Murder of Frank Olson and the CIA's Secret Cold War Experiments, and we are going to be taking a look at some of those secret Cold War experiments. A small amount of what we have, we're going to talk about tonight is in the last program specifically. Uh, we spoke about George Hunter White. We'll be talking about him again in this program. And his experimentation, he would dose people with LSD without their knowledge or consent. And that is indicative of the kinds of things that were more or less routine in the post-World War II period. So, where was Nuremberg? I don't know, but it sure isn't in the U.S. A section of Hank Alberelli's book called The Occult Side of MK Ultra speculates that some of the CIA experimentation with hallucinogenic drugs uh, may have been inspired by the Nazi SS Omenerba in World War II. They were involved with some of those experiments. We spoke about that in, pro- in for the record, program 1304. And uh, Hank Alberelli starts this particular section of the book with uh, rumination about the possible Omenerba inspiration for these experiments. In the occult side of MK Ultra, uh, one of the best known of the CIA's mind control programs, Hank Alberelli writes as follows. On the esoteric side again, one MK Ultra project funded in 1957 through the Human Ecology Fund perhaps had its genesis in the earlier work of the Amenerba, a Nazi think tank founded in 1935 by SS head Heinrich Himmler and focused on the occult. 
The MKUltra program funded drug experiments conducted by Alistair Crowley, a controversial and some would say depraved practitioner of the black arts and considered a high priest of occultism. The World War II truth drug research conducted by Stanley Lavelle's OSS department had briefly examined Crowley's experiments with drugs, but had discarded them because OSS scientists found Crowley, quote, simply too difficult to fathom, unquote. Nonetheless, the CIA took a second look. Here, it is worth noting that Crowley, according to writer Richard B. Spence, was a lifelong intelligence operative for the British government. Respected occult historian Kenneth Grant informs us that Crowley, who passed away in 1947, was introduced to the use of drugs by another occultist, Alan Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T. Crowley apparently enjoyed the effects of drugs upon himself, as years later in Paris in the 1920s, he was experimenting with mescaline, and in the late 1930s was introduced to the wonders of peyote by Aldous Huxley. Compounding matters was Crowley's long-time addiction to heroin, which had allegedly first been prescribed for treatment of his severe spasmodic asthma, unquote. Like Crowley, Bennett also suffered from chronic asthma, which he treated with self-prescribed, quote, opium, morphine, cocaine, and chloroform in a cycle, unquote. Apart from this, what seemed to attract the CIA's scientific attention was Crowley's use of drugs such as Datura, D-A-T-U-R-A, called, quote, the juice of the Vedic Soma, unquote, and a hallucinogen sometimes called Brazil's Sapphire, that's capital R-A-Z-I-E-L, Sapphire, that was used by Native Americans in Florida. Crowley variously combined these drugs with sexual practices and wrote with his experiences in lurid detail. Apparently, this tied into safe house experiments that George White, Dr. James Hamilton, and John Gittinger were conducting, first in New York and then in San Francisco. Gittinger would say years later, quote, Yes, we were interested in the combination of certain drugs with sex acts. We looked at the various pleasure positions used by prostitutes and others. This, well before anything like the Kama Sutra had become widely popular. Some of the women, the professionals that we used, were very adept at these practices. It is not known what precisely Gittinger meant by, quote, professionals, unquote, either prostitutes or agency-employed sex agents, which several former agency officials admit were first used by the OSS and then by the CIA. Said Gittinger in the 1987 interview, quote, For a while, we employed several prostitutes for project-related work in the safe houses. They would lure clients in for the purposes of drawing information from them while they were preoccupied or distracted. This would have fit neatly with Crowley's practice of, quote, sexual magic, unquote, and drugs. Grant writes that Crowley, quote, used them, drugs, all in his search for the mysterious elixir potent to unseal the gates of the invisible world. He also wished to compare the states of consciousness induced by their use with those resulting from madness, obsession, and mystical exaltation. Liz Evans, a former aspiring actress and sometime prostitute, to pay the rent and make ends meet, unquote, who knew George White well when she lived in San Francisco, recalls that White 
Anne Gittinger were, quote, more than a little fascinated with the tricks of the trade, if you know what I mean, unquote. Evans recounts that she met with Gittinger several times for, quote, long interviews, unquote, and then carried, quote, about five or six assignments, unquote, at White's request. She says she had, quote, no idea the CIA was involved in any of this stuff, unquote, until the mid-1970s, again quoting, after George died and a lot of articles came out of the San Francisco papers about his work, unquote. Evans, who recalls very little about her specific assignments, makes it clear that she was, quote, paid to practice my womanly terms, unquote, and that on more than two occasions, White had directed her to escort foreign dignitaries to particular events. She says, quote, I'm sure George filmed parts of those encounters if he could have. A lot of the times there were guys with George who had movie cameras and sound equipment, unquote. Asked if she ever traveled outside the United States at White's request, Evans recalls that she went, quote, to Mexico and another place near there, unquote, where she met White, but she could not recall any details. Quote, we met some other people there. It was a long time ago, unquote. Asked if White or anyone associated with him had ever hypnotized her, Evans says, We used to play those crazy games at that, hypnosis and like that. Yes, I think I was hypnotized once by a friend of George's, unquote. She does not remember who it was or where. Next two paragraphs we did, we, we uh, covered in our last program. Evans remembers that White, quote, three or four times at his house, unquote, dosed people with LSD just for fun, unquote. She recalls, quote, he gave it to me once, and I hated every minute of it. I told him if he ever did it again, that would be the last time he did it to anyone, unquote. Evans also recalls that White, quote, or someone who worked with him sometime around 1959 or 1960, unquote, dosed again, quoting a really pretty blonde-haired waitress at San Francisco's Black Sheep Bar. Says Evans, her name was Ruth Kelly, and George wanted her to take part in things, but she had no interest, so he or someone he told to dosed her with LSD, unquote. Kelly, who also performed as a singer at the bar, was dosed during one of her singing performances in 1960, according to CIA documents. Evans says, as CIA documents confirm, quote, she merely flipped out during her set, but somehow managed to hold on. After she finished, she ran outside and got a cab to take her to the hospital. A few days later, she was okay, unquote. Another fascinating SIHE, Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology Project, by the way, that was a uh, major CIA funding organization. Another fascinating SIHE, Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology Project, funded through MKUltra, involved analysis and assessment, unquote, of Dr. Carl Jung's phylogenetic unconscious, unquote, later called the collective unconscious, unquote. The CIA appeared especially interested in the, quote, the autochthonous revival of ancient myths and signs, unquote, in the minds of individuals unaware of and uneducated about such ideas and theories. Again, it appears that the drugs LSD and mescaline were somehow linked to the project, but how specifically is not revealed in the scant materials documenting the project. Nor are we given any hints as to which university, other than it was a, quote, university, unquote, or researchers were involved.
From comments made by PSS psychologist John Gittinger in a deposition and unpublished interview, we were able to glean that the agency's MKUltra project secretly funded the LSD research of Danish, neurolo- of Danish neurologist Einar Gert Jorgensen in Denmark. That man's name, capital E-I-N-A-R, last name capital G-E-E-R-T hyphen, J, capital J-O-R-G-E-N-S-E-N. Amazingly, and bear in mind that this, what you're about to hear, was financed by the CIA. Amazingly, Gert Jorgensen, during one five-year period at Fredericksburg Hospital, administered LSD to over 250 mental patients without their consent and apparently without damage to Gert Jorgensen's career. According to investigative journalist Alex Frank Larson, quote, Gert Jorgensen's experiments spun out of control when many of the patients, some of whom had been given their, quote, medicine, unquote, forcefully and were left unattended in basement cells, were overcome with upsurges from their troubled subconscious. One patient reacted by stabbing her boyfriend to death, some committed suicide in the wake of the treatment, and many remained stricken and haunted for years, some permanently addled. Well, again, that is not a surprising outcome of an experiment in which over 250 mental patients uh, without their consent are given LSD. I mean, what really could one expect? And again, it's why the program is titled, Where's Nuremberg? And another thing that the CIA studied at great length was cancer, both how to induce it, how to uh, maximize stress so as how to induce it. In a section called Cancer and MKUltra, we read, The MKUltra program also explored cancer and experimented with various techniques for, quote, inducing cancer, unquote. One 1954 document concerns research into methylcholanthrene, M-E-P-H-Y-L-C-H-O-L-A-N-T-H-R-E-N-E, a chemical compound that the CIA claimed, quote, is now recognized as probably the most potent known carcinogen in the production of tumors of various types, unquote. The document continues, If this hydrocarbon can be produced in the laboratory by chemical transformation of normal constituents of the human organism, it is possible that the substance may arise in the body through a process of abnormal metabolism and initiate cancer. Uh, reading between the lines, I don't think it's too much to infer that very possibly that was being seen as a means of assassinating people with cancer. Continuing, another related CIA document outlines a project to evaluate methods of manipulating carcinogenic variables, including stress. The research to be undertaken during the 12-month period will be devoted to an analysis of the neural and endocrine mechanism of stress and the chemical agents that influence it. Chemical agents that have been found active and within a suitable toxicity range will be subjected to clinical screening on appropriate patients, the initial screening being carried out as heretofore on advanced cancer patients. The amount of money devoted to chemical synthesis will be much reduced and chemical compounds available from various sources as well as those synthesized in the project will be screened. As heretofore, any agents which prove of interest in cancer will be subjected to further evaluation both on transplanted animal tumors and on cancer patients. This cancer phase of the project will be considered a byproduct of the major objectives which will be directed to the problem of stress. And uh, 
it, it is a matter of public record that the CIA had a, a means of giving people cancer. I think it was as early as 1949. It's a safe bet that those means are uh, dramatically increased today. The next section is MK Ultra and radiation experiments. When Director of Central Intelligence Annal Alan Dulles approved the creation of the MK Ultra program in April of 1953, his memorandum stated that the program was organized into quote two extremely sensitive research programs, unquote. The first was listed as A, Covert Studies of Biological and Chemical Warfare, unquote. The second program was redacted from all documents where they released publicly, and the agency still refuses to release the documents in uncensored form. Note this. The second program was redacted from all documents released publicly, and the agency still refuses to release the documents in uncensored form. And uh, that was as of 2009. Continuing. However, from several confidential sources close to the CIA, we are informed that the second program was B, Covert Studies of Radiation Warfare, unquote. Look, CIA officer Richard Helms of the second MK Ultra program, in all cases dealing with field radiation war, in all cases dealing with field radiation warfare, it is mandatory that any connection with the agency should be known only to an absolute minimum number of people who have been cleared for this purpose. In no case should any manufacturer or supplier be aware of government interest. For nearly four decades, the CIA has maintained that its MKUltra program did not conduct any projects related to radiation. This, however, is not true according to information provided to investigative journalist and writer John Kelly by Dr. Sidney Gottlieb. In 1958, Dr. Wallace Wayne Chan, who would later become a special assistant to the Deputy Surgeon General of the U.S. Public Health Service working under MKUltra Subproject 86, launched research aimed at, quote, establishing and substantiating the bona fides of agent and or staff personnel through techniques and methods other than interrogation, unquote. In other words, Dr. Chan wanted the CIA to have the means to know whether a covert agent extracted from another country is their agent and not a replica agent produced by training and plastic surgery. To ensure that agents were not replaced with replica agents, Chan proposed that CIA agents be made radioactive before being dispatched to their assignments. Quote, radioisotopes with predetermined half-lives can be selectively implanted and or injected, unquote, wrote Dr. Chan. Dr. Sidney Gottlieb confirmed to Kelly that Wally Chan worked under him and that we, quote, were working in that field, unquote, of covert radioactive markers. When Kelly asked the former TSS chief whether Subproject 86 experimented with humans, Gottlieb said, quote, My general remembrance is yes, they tried them on humans, unquote. Related to MKUltra Subproject 86 was Subproject 140, operated by a contemporary of Dr. Chance at Stanford Medical School. Dr. James A. Hamilton already encountered by readers in this chapter as the contractor on MK Ultra Subproject 2, Subproject of oh, one more time. Related to MK Ultra Subproject 86 
was Subproject 180, operated by a contemporary of Dr. Chan's at Stanford Medical School, Dr. James A. Hamilton, already encountered by readers in this chapter as the contractor on MKUltra Subproject 2. Subproject 140 focused on, quote, assessment and feasibility studies on covert marking systems, unquote. A March 30th, 1965 report written by Hamilton to the CIA reads, quote, We are now conducting a new series of experiments on a 100 prisoner subjects at Vacaville Prison in California, in which radioactive iodine uptake of the thyroid, or P4 uptake of red cells, and several other measures which we have developed are being related to previously studied variables. And the, the, I'm interjecting briefly the uh, scientific and uh, cold clinical language here masks the fact that uh, basically people are being experimented on with various substances uh, by and large without their permission or even knowledge. And again, giving psychiatric patients hallucinogenic drugs without their knowledge or permission is just, <clears throat> well, it's history at this point. Continuing. Said Gottlieb on the purpose of injecting prisoners with radioactive iodine, quote, It was the same one as the Chan Project. It was the general objective of seeing whether we could put in a covert, one more time, it was the general objective of seeing whether we could put in a covert marker of some kind. And the reason for the radioactive iodine is that it is so commonly used in thyroid research, unquote. As underscored by writer Kelly, Radioisotopes can be harmful. Any dosage of radiation carries with it a risk of cancer and a myriad of other harmful effects. As early as 1946, Dr. Joseph G. Hamilton, no relation to Dr. James A. Hamilton, the godfather of radiological warfare, wrote that radioisotopes, quote, produce internal radiation of the very sensitive bone marrow, and even rather trivial amounts can produce lethal effects, unquote. In addition to MKUltra, the agency's artichoke program, operated by the security office, considered radioisotopes or tracers as a means to determine whether a certain drug or chemical would affect parts of the brain the CIA wanted to zap. As one artichoke researcher wrote with stunning precision in 1954, the use of certain types of liquids and solids which can be traced in their passage through the human body is well known. We have been advised that either at the Massachusetts General Hospital or in one of the Harvard units that there was a very advanced unit being developed for the tracing of radioactive material throughout the human body and particularly in the brain. We received information from competent people that almost any element can be made, quote, active, unquote, in some way or other, and its passage through the body to the brain can be observed. Along these lines, several of our most important consultants have constantly urged exploration of the tracer techniques as a method of advanced artichoke studies. And again, as you hear this uh, relatively clinical discussion of uh, the administration of various, administering of various uh, radioactive substances to the human body, bear in mind that even low levels can produce cancer and other uh, deleterious effects. Continuing, the same researcher recommended the use of tracers to find a drug which would produce a, quote, chemical lobotomy, unquote, that could be triggered by direct radiation of the brain as follows. <clears throat> a, non-toxic <clears throat> a non-toxic drug 
may be found by radioactive tracer techniques that will be attracted to certain area of the brain and so produce a taming that can last for some time. Ultrasonics or some other radiating energy may be developed to give a physical stimulus to such an area without injury. Lastly, the artichoke researcher recommended that the amygdaloid nucleus area of the brain be studied. He wrote, quote, At present, this brain center can be specifically stimulated by a current passed through wires inserted through the brain by operation. Such a procedure is obviously useless to this project, but ultrasonics or other means of radiant energy may yet be improved or modified so that they, quote, crossfire, unquote, as with x-rays arrangement, could be focused on a selected small region in the brain without affecting the surrounding areas. The amygdaloid nucleus is interesting because it has been stimulated in humans producing fear or anger. Monkeys' amygdaloids have been removed, producing painless. Temporary inhibition of this region, possibly of others, should tame humans. And Hank Alberelli goes on to comment, At the same time that artichoke researchers were considering the use of radiation and ultrasonics, the CIA was sponsoring research conducted by Dr. Charles Geschichter, G-E-S-C-H-I-C-K-T-E-R, in conjunction with the National Institutes of Health, under which monkeys were exposed to radiation in the form of radar in hopes of developing a technique to secretly render a human unconscious. In their aggressive pursuit of such techniques, CIA officials met with Dr. Webb Haymaker, H-A-Y-M-A-K-E-R, at the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology in Washington, D.C., to discuss the use of radiation to affect, quote, emotional centers of the brain or elsewhere in the nervous system, unquote. According to journalist Kelly, Dr. Haymaker was, quote, unnerved by the CIA's proposal, unquote, and the CIA later noted in its own report on the meeting that Haymaker, quote, would not care to be consulted again in this matter, unquote. However, Dr. Haymaker apparently had a change of heart or was able to put aside his discomfort at some point. As Kelly observed, Haymaker, quote, subsequently conducted human radioactive experiments, unquote, and in, quote, one such experiment, a 43-year-old comatose man received eight injections to the brain of radioactive tritiated thymidine over a six-month period, with the last injection being given four hours before he died, unquote. Dr. Haymaker subsequently co-authored a book with former Nazi scientist Dr. Hubertus Strughold, who had carried out grisly and inhumane experiments at Dachau concentration camp. So, uh, a merging of those who inspired the Nuremberg Statutes with those who subsequently uh, chose to ignore them. Continuing, other CIA contractors and employees who were involved in radiological warfare projects include Boris P. Pash, former director of the ALSOS mission, that's A-L-S-O-S with a capital A, the post-war Allied mission to locate, intern, and evaluate the knowledge of Germany's Germany's atomic scientists. One more time. Other CIA contractors and employees who were involved in radiological warfare projects included Boris P. Pash, former director of the Alsace mission, the post-war allied mission to locate, intern, and evaluate the knowledge of Germany's atomic scientists. 
Pash presented a proposal to the CIA in January of 1950 calling for, quote, the formulation of doctrine and policy, the evolving of operational techniques, the making of plans, and the preparation of projects for the conduct of biological, chemical, and radiological operations, unquote. A few months after Pash submitted his proposal, CIA Assistant Director for Office of Policy Coordination Frank Wisner wrote, quote, OPC is at present engaged in covert, unconventional activity on a limited scale, unquote, including, again, quoting, biological, chemical, and radiological warfare, unquote. By 1954, Wisner was proposing that the CIA grant, quote, consideration to the development of a radiological weapon which, it is hoped, would make profitable use of substantial quantities of radioactive waste materials which now constitute a considerable disposal problem to neutralize or interdict enemy activity in localized areas for relatively short periods without simultaneously causing substantial loss of life and the destruction of property, unquote. One 1954 CIA proposal for the development of radioactive warfare recommended its use in Vietnam on behalf of the French. The potential of a radioactive weapon is obvious not only in military terms of overrunning selected resistance points at the minimum loss in casualties to the attacking force and in the preservation of the physical assets in the area, which both our military forces and the local civilian population could use to good advantage, but also from the important humanitarian and psychological standpoint of waging war without causing the widespread destruction of life and property appended upon the use of lethal weapons of whatever kind. It would also appear that such a weapon might be used to advantage defensively in fighting delaying actions or in such battles as the one at Dien Bien Phu, where a protective ring might have been thrown around the town to prevent the attacking forces from approaching beyond a certain perimeter. It also uh, eventually, if the battle ended and uh, the siege loop was lifted, it might cause some problems for the people who were inside the ring as well. And by the way, uh, the collaboration of the U.S. with the French in the uh, the French Indochina War uh, is well documented and was enormously. The U.S. provided something like eighty percent of the funding for the French uh, war in Indochina. And the next section is called MK Ultra and Human Ecology, and it talks about uh, QK Hilltop a far-ranging program of the CIA. MK Ultra and Human Ecology On October 26, 1954, Sidney Gottlieb, accompanied by PSS Stout... One more time. On October 26, 1954, Sidney Gottlieb, accompanied by PSS staffers Robert Lashbrook and Henry Bortner, traveled from Washington, D.C. to New York City to participate in a day-long meeting at the Stafford Hotel. Morris Allen of the agency's Security Research Service had requested the meeting. Also in attendance were Dr. Paul Hoke, Dr. Harold Abramson, Dr. Edward Pelican, and several representatives from Camp Dietrich's SOB, including Colonel Vincent Willett and Dr. John Schwab of SCHWAB. Allen had called the meeting so that Gottlieb and his PSS subordinates could present the details of their burgeoning MKUltra program in order to, quote, comprehensively assess its usefulness to SRS's project QK Hilltop, unquote. 
And Hank Alberelli goes on to write, Very little is known about Project QK Hilltop, other than it was initiated sometime in 1954, and about a year later, the project recruited Dr. Harold Wolf, W-O-L-F-F, the physician who treated the war injuries of Alan Dulles's son. Wolf had also been physician to the Shah of Iran, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, and to his popular rival, Iranian Prime Minister Mohammad Mossadegh, overthrown by the CIA's Operation Ajax in 1953 to reinstate the Shah. Wolf according to former intelligence officials, was essentially rewarded for his treatment of Sonny Dulles by receiving a multi-year CIA contract to study the brainwashing techniques of the Soviet and Communist China, as well as the interrogation techniques of both, including interrogation with drugs. Overseeing QK Hilltop was the CIA's front group, the Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology, or SIHE. The Society... NK Ultra Subproject 48 was physically located at 123 East 78th Street in New York City, adjacent to Cornell University's Human Ecology Study Program, Cornell University Medical School Annex. CIA documents state that SIHE's principal purposes were to act as, quote, a reasonable and efficient cutout for funding NK Ultra Subproject 48 projects, and, quote, to provide a mechanism for exploiting the human ecology research program in other areas outside Cornell University. In other words, to serve as a cutout for other selected MKUltra projects. SIHE's initial corporate officers were Dr. Harold Wolf and Dr. Lawrence E. Hinkle, CIA employees Phyllis B. Sheridan, Helen Goodell, and Dr. Joseph C. Hinsey, H-I-N-S-E-Y, Dean of the Cornell Medical School. The number of other officers soon expanded to include Dr. Adolph A. Burley, Jr., Dr. Carl R. Rogers, and Dr. John C. Whitehorn. As some readers may be aware, Burley, a close friend of B.C.I. Dulles, was a former Assistant Secretary of State and U.S. Ambassador to Brazil. Rogers, a noted psychiatrist was a founder of the humanistic approach to psychology and a Nobel Prize nominee. Whitehorn, a respected biochemist and psychiatrist, was a former president of the American Psychiatric Association. Others closely associated with SIHE were Dr. Samuel Wyerly, L-Y-E-R-L-Y, the group's research director, Dr. Robert Goodnow, Preston Abbott, A-double-B-O-double-P, Edgar Schein, Dr. Robert L. Williams, David Rhodes, and TSS's Ray Twykler. QK Hilltop continued until 1963, and contrary to other reports, was always operated independently from TSS's MKUltra. Almost all of QK Hilltop's files were destroyed in 1973 at the direction of then-DCI Richard Helms. In a fascinating civil suit deposition taken in 1983, former CIA staff agent psychologist and TSS employee John Gittinger provided illuminating details about Project QK Hilltop and TSS activities. Gittinger, who joined the CIA staff in February of 1951 and interviewed Sidney Gottlieb for his first agency job, explained that QK Hilltop created the CIA-controlled Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology to serve as a conduit 
and cover for CIA projects and funding. Gittinger revealed that the idea for the society was conceived in the meeting between Alan Dulles, Dr. Harold Wolf, Dr. Lawrence Hinkle, and Dr. Adolf Burley. Dulles wanted the society to be the cover for the CIA's invest one more time. Bellis wanted the society to be the cover for the CIA's aggressive investigation of all facets of the human mind and also to concentrate on enhancing intelligence-gathering techniques, including the analysis of handwriting and body positioning, today known as body language. People who knew Alan Bellis well, including Gittinger, said that when Bellis had lived for a while in Switzerland next to the psychologist Dr. Carl Jung, he had become enthralled with handwriting analysis through his many conversations with Jung. When Bellis became BCI, one of, the, one of his first initiatives was to create a handwriting analysis branch under the auspices of TSS. At the March 1957 Human Ecology Board of Directors meeting, it was proposed and approved that the society would also vigorously explore handwriting analysis. Gittinger also explained in his deposition that, while he served as chief of PSS's Behavioral Activities Branch, all PSS Chemical Division employees, as well as other CIA operatives, were were required to attend a training course entitled Defensive Pharmacology, unquote. The course was operated by Butler Medical Center, a CIA facility in Providence, Rhode Island. As part of the training, each employee had to ingest 100 micrograms of LSD. Medically supervising those who would take an LSD were two course instructors, quote, a Chinese and German doctor, unquote, whose names Gittinger said he could not recall. He did recall, however, the name of the physician who primarily oversaw the course Dr. Coleman Kornetsky, K-O-R-N-E-T-S-K-Y. Kornetsky, at the time of this writing, is a distinguished professor at Boston University School of Medicine. About a year after George White had left New York to open a CIA-funded safe house in San Francisco, Gittinger embarked on yet another curious investigation under the auspices of the Human Ecology Fund, an 18-month project focused on the, quote, sexual habits and proclivities of Chinese males, unquote. Explained Gittinger, quote, We were interested in the sexual life of certain of the Chinese because it was something we had very little information on, unquote. In 1957 and 1958, Gittinger had White and his Narcotics Bureau assistant Ira Feldman recruit prostitutes who reportedly had, quote, extensive experience, unquote, with Chinese males. For several months, Gittinger traveled to California to interview the prostitutes. In 1987, Gittinger said, quote, Through the help of Morgan Hall, George White's alias, we got three prostitutes who specialized in Chinese males, and I interviewed them on their attitude and something about the way Chinese males behaved. Morgan Hall told me a great deal about he had a very, very interesting life, and have a great deal of experience in terms of interrogation and eliciting of information both directly and indirectly. We attempted to systematically keep track to know about the sexual habits and the like of all of the various ethnic and racial groups we were concerned about or interested in. This kind of information was very useful at times. In the next section, it's a long one, we may not have... 
uh, time to finish this. It's called Dr. Robert Hyde and LSD. I guess you'd call this, uh, uh, Mr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde. Dr. Robert W. Hyde told people in Bakersfield, Vermont, where he had been born in 1910, that no matter how much he loved the Green Mountain State, its hardy folk, and its white winters, he would have to leave the state, quote, if I really wanted to spread my wings and soar to those heights I knew I could reach. And uh, skipping down. Hyde's story and his connection to the CIA had been for the most part overlooked in the annals of LSD, largely overshadowed by the immense ego, self-promotion, and inflated saga of Sandoz Pharmaceuticals' Albert Hoffman, Hyde made incalculable contributions to the CIA's pursuit of the, quote, miraculous drug, unquote, known as LSD. Bob Hyde's friends will tell you without exception that if anyone had the audacity to ingest an unknown drug purely out of curiosity, it was Hyde. And skipping down again. As a result of research by Austin Chase, we know today that Hyde recruited Harvard University students, possibly including notorious Unabomber Theodore Kaczynski, for a series of CIA-funded LSD experiments that spanned at least two years. Chase reveals that in spring of 1954, Hyde paid a group of six Harvard seniors $15 an hour to participate in an experiment using a drug they had never heard of, lysergic acid. The drug might produce a, quote, altered state, unquote. They were told as each was offered, quote, a little vial of a clear, colorless, and odorless liquid, which they were told to drink, unquote. Chase writes that each student reacted differently to the LSD. One student, quote, had a bad trip and tore a telephone off the wall, but none can remember doing it. Everyone, everyone remembered that, quote, some became paranoid but can't remember who, unquote. One student told Chase he had become, quote, mildly schizophrenic, unquote. Others were scared. None were told that the CIA had sponsored the experiments. In the late 1960s, Bob Hyde returned to Vermont where he set up a small private psychiatric process and became director of research at the Vermont State Mental Hospital in Waterbury, a small town close to the world-famous Stowe Ski Area. According to one of his former patients, Hyde's work with LSD continued at the Waterbury facility, which had received CIA funds for experiments through at least two agency conduits, the Human Ecology Fund and the Geschichte Fund for Medical Research. The projects under these funds were monitored by TSS psychologist John Gittinger, who had first met Hyde at Boston Psychopathic, where he and TSS biochemists Henry Bortner and John Gladden had supervi supervised the LSD experiments. In 1997, Karen Wetmore, W-E-T-M-O-R-E, a Vermont woman who had been a patient at Waterbury, brought a lawsuit against the state of Vermont claiming that she had been unwittingly used as a subject in drug experiments approved by Dr. Hyde. Wetmore, who had been a patient at the Vermont facility throughout her teens and early 20s, further charged that Hyde had experimented on other Vermont State Hospital patients. Wetmore's attorney, Alan George, had an extremely difficult time obtaining documents from officials in Vermont, a state with less than a stellar reputation for public access. One more time. Wetmore's attorney, Alan George, 
had an extremely difficult time obtaining documents from officials in Vermont, a state with less than a stellar reputation for public access and freedom of information. But eventually, Alan George was able to obtain evidence linking the state hospital to the CIA, its front organizations, and its money conduits. One report re- revealed that the Waterbury facility had taken federal funds to experiment on schizophrenics with, quote, antipsychotic drugs, including trifluoperazine, an antipsychotic more commonly known as stelazine, a drug that was of interest to the CIA during the 1950s. The results of the study were disturbing. Quote, It's like old times. It's bedlam, with patients constantly pacing back and forth like animals, unquote. One former Waterbury employer who worked on the project attest, quote, There were some incredibly crazy things done under that project. For the life of me, I could not make sense out of anything. If you asked or questioned what was going on, physicians said, don't worry yourself, just do it, unquote. A Vermont investigative journalist, Lewis Porter, who assiduously pursued Wetmore's story, wrote in a 2008 article that Dr. Milton Greenblatt was one of the primary consultants working on the study. Greenblatt, Greenblatt worked closely with Dr. Hyde at the Massachusetts Mental Health Center, formerly Boston Psychopathic. Greenblatt was quoted in a 1994 newspaper article about the CIA's LSD experiments, quote, You must remember that the protection of patients was evolving in those decades. We need to be fair about judging the past from current criteria, unquote. Greenblatt, who seemed quite skilled at manufacturing excuses and casting blame on the context of the times, also claimed disingenuously that the LSD experiments he and Hyde conducted were undertaken, quote, before researchers knew much about the intense psychotic reactions and flashbacks that haunt some LSD takers for years, unquote. Apparently, the physicians had not read reports of previous LSD experiments. Greenblatt could not recall how many patients were given LSD under his direction, but he said, quote, as far as I know, None had adverse reactions, unquote. Not so for the staff members given LSD, however. Quote, there was one fellow, an occupational therapist, who was made quite psychotic, and it took him a while to recover, unquote, said Greenblatt. Karen Wetmore settled with the state of Vermont after the case became a detriment to her health. She suffered two heart attacks during the pre-trial proceedings and could take no, no more of the stress and aggravation caused by Vermont's bureaucratic bumbling and delay tactics. Wetmore's attorney reluctantly agreed to the undisclosed settlement said to be very small. Quote, I thought we had a pretty solid suit, frankly, he said. State of Vermont officials declined to speak about the case. In 1981, when Sidney Gottlieb was asked to describe Dr. Hyde's experiments, he said he was unable to recall specifics but claimed the subjects had been, quote, volunteers, unquote. I can only describe the general, the most general description of them. They were associated with Harvard University, and Hyde and his associates over a period of several years did a series of experiments on voluntary Harvard University students and on some volunteer staff members of Boston Psychopathic Hospital, and they did some work on patients at that hospital investigating the psychotherapeutic possibilities of LSD. 
That is all I can recall. Queried further about CIA or MKUltra funding of other organizations in the Green Mountain State, Gottlieb said, quote, I recall some work, perhaps some related to SI special interrogations at the university up there. It may have been funded through one of the cover groups, Macy or Human Ecology. I'm not sure. And then the, the next uh, section, which we definitely won't have time to uh, complete, is in many ways, I think, exemplary of where these uh, projects, including the dosing of uh, unwitting uh, psychiatric patients with uh, various psychoactive chemicals. This is called Producing a Model Psychosis. One of the most guarded and least documented of the early MKUltra projects was Subproject 9, first undertaken at Emory University in Atlanta and the University of Illinois. Among TSS officials, Subproject 9, which evolved over a five-year period into Subprojects 26, 28, and 47, was commonly referred to, quote, as the Atlanta Project or the Bullpen Project, unquote. Overseen by Dr. Carl C. Pfeiffer, P-F-E-I-F-F-E-R, the project on paper involved, quote, the use of various stremutatory, S-T-R-N-U-T-A-T-O-R-I, chemical substance that produces sneezing and other effects agents on normal and schizophrenic human subjects, unquote. In fact, it was far more complex, indeed frightening. It involved intentionally producing psychotic states with LSD. Documents concerning Pfeiffer's work at Atlanta Federal Penitentiary reveal that, quote, his experiments produced a model psychosis characterized by visual and auditory hallucinations. Hallucinations last for three days and are characterized by repeated waves of depersonalization, visual hallucinations, and feelings of unreality. According to a detailed and complete quote-unquote listing of MKUltra projects composed in 1976 by CIA attorney A.R. Pfeiffer was assisted in his experiments by Dr. Andrew Laszlo of the University of Tennessee and toxicologist Dr. Edward Pelican, who was working closely with Dr. Harold Abenson at the time of Frank Olson's death. Marvin Williams, imprisoned in the Atlanta Penitentiary throughout the 1950s and 1960s, participated in Dr. Pfeiffer's experiments and later recalled what it was like. William, and the skipping down in this, Williams begins to cry and shakes his head, recalling the experience. I'm not a smart guy. I didn't have much school or learning. I didn't know what was going on. A lot of us became pretty crazy, you know, like insane. We had to be locked up alone for days, and even then the energy, the anger was everywhere inside you, overwhelming, like explosive. And uh, that, I guess, is something of a uh, an epitaph for those projects. This concludes for the record program number 1306, Where's Nuremberg, being recorded on July 21st of the year 2023. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.